8.03 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. Alfred and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of the program. Moj is going to join us in just a moment here. The highlight of hour three. The highlight of the week, really. Definitely the highlight of Friday. Uh, hour three of the program is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can do so by visiting them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Phone lines we go. Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Moj. How are you? Good. Better question is how's Mr. Bruff feeling after his bout with pneumonia? Uh, I'm feeling better, but my voice is still an absolute disaster. Yeah. But uh, Sorry to hear you were sick over the holidays, bud. Yeah, it was a tough one. It was a tough one. Halford hasn't uh, hasn't asked me too much about it because he doesn't care. But uh, you th- <laughs> thank you, thank you for expressing a bit of emotion on the show. It's 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 uh-huh. nice to know that somebody out there cares. I thought he'd well, just pick serious. up a smoking I mean, you, habit. You get pneumonia, man. That's serious stuff. You're not joking around. So I'm glad that you're okay. I mean, you know. All things aside, I mean, I know Halford doesn't care, but most no, of us out there, you know, we care about you. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. This is um, well, you, you can just turn your mic off then. Just Moj and I can, mm-hmm. can talk. Yeah. Um, Moj, um, we're hearing a few rumblings about Nathan Rourke, apparently, and this is via Farhan, uh, getting some pretty good offers down in the NFL. Um, could you lay out, if you could, just the timeline for him to make his decision on the NFL and whether or not you think it's pretty much a done deal now that he will not be back with the BC Lions next season? Uh, I'd say it's pretty much a done deal that he's not going to be back. Um, I was talking to some people, and they said that, you know, this is pretty much a fate to accompli in terms of him signing with an NFL team. Um, which team that will be, we're going to find out here. I probably would imagine within the week at the latest. Um, I was told that they were hoping to make a decision by January the 9th which is one of the deadlines, of course, in terms of signing CFL, all that stuff, and as well as the NFL with free agency. But I was told that January 9th was kind of like a day that they would kind of have everything in order by. So I know that he's got a couple of extra workouts planned uh, here in, you know, in, in the coming days or if he's had one yesterday or the day before. So I expect something shortly, but I do expect him to sign with an NFL, with an NFL team. Now, granted, what type of opportunity will he get? We're going to find out. Um, but he will sign with an NFL team. What's the fallout for the Lions there, both from a personnel perspective but also a marketing perspective? Well, from a marketing perspective, it's a huge hit. I mean, Nathan Rourke was not only the talk of the Lions, he was the talk of the CFL, for crying out loud. I mean, this kid came out. I mean, think about the fact that he finished second in the league in touchdown passes, and he missed half a season. I mean, that's insane, right? Um, He won the Most Outstanding Canadian Player Award, and he only played half a season. So it tells you just how much of an impact he had, not only with the Lions, but uh, with the league as well in terms of creating excitement. Um, From an X's and O's standpoint, uh, I think the sooner the Lions know, the better. And I say that because you're going to construct your offense differently with Vernon Adams as your starter than you would say as Nathan Rourke as your starter. As we talked about previously, I mean, with Nathan – his strength is reading defenses and being um, able to progress through receivers. And that offense was tailor-made for Nathan's strength. So now with Vernon Adams, who doesn't you know, have that skill like Nathan has, I think you can tailor the offense perhaps a little bit more to Vernon Adams' strengths and stay away from some of his weaknesses. 
Okay, so on Rourke, I was reading the piece from J.J. Adams in the province. So he said that he's worked out for there's a lot. The Chargers, the Cardinals, the Vikings, the Bucks, the Colts, the Broncos, the Jags, and the Panthers. And then there's another workout scheduled for today, Friday. Is there any way to try and handicap this? Or is there just too many teams that are poking around and keeping an eye on this situation? And I guess the other part of this, too, is there's also a lot of teams that still have decisions to be made at the decision-maker position. Like, there's head coaching positions that need to be filled, and you know they're going to go in a certain direction with their quarterback. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing, no matter what the team, is that Nathan Rourke has to have somebody in his corner, somebody that believes in him, somebody that says, hey, if we give this kid a shot, he's going to do well for us. So I, I think that's probably one of the things that he and his agent, Cameron Weiss, are trying to figure out it's one thing to pay lip service and say yeah we're going to give you an opportunity but who is really going to give you an opportunity who is in your corner if i had to handicap one team the team that i look at is the minnesota vikings and i say that because their general manager ryan houston who was in indianapolis and this is a guy who had his start in the canadian football league with the saskatchewan rough riders as a scout he played a little bit at the tail end of his career as an offensive line with the argos when he was in indy for four years as gm um he really kind of mind the canadian football league there's a guy there who you know looks at the cfl respects what the players do even if you look last year the Colts signed a couple of players out of the cfl out of hamilton they signed williams the tackle and uh nikola kelenich the fullback so um if i had to kind of like put money on it and it, i mean all these would be long shots something tells me that the minnesota vikings would be in the hunt just because ryan Housen, as i mentioned the former colts gm who's now director of player personnel for the vikings is there so that's one team, and it'd be a good landing spot for him as well because wherever Nathan Ort goes, he's not going to be the guy. Even if it's a wide-open quarterback competition, they can't bring him in and say he's going to be the guy. You can't sell that to your fan base, say, like in Indianapolis. But if he goes to a team where he can be an understudy for a year or two until the incumbent quarterback moves on or retires or whatever the case may be, learns the system, um, does well when he does have opportunities to play, uh, maybe then that, for me, is probably the ideal situation, and Minnesota fits that bill. You know, the interesting one for me, weirdly enough, is Carolina because uh, they're an intriguing team right now. I talked to Nick Shook from NFL.com about this the other day. The idea that Jim Harbaugh might leave the University of Michigan, he's already been in contact with Carolina Panther, Panthers owner David Tepper. And then if they were to go into next season with Sam Darnold still as the quarterback, I think there's a really interesting dynamic there, but it's almost more because of the Harbaugh scenario than the actual Nathan Rourke scenario. Yeah, and, you know, the thing is with Harbaugh, I mean, he's going to come in and, again, like I said, he's going to have – he's going to want to have his guy a quarterback and he's going to want a guy with a, with a resume, right? I mean, it's about consumer confidence with your fans. You can't sell your fans in the NFL on saying that Nathan Rourke is going to be our number one guy. Now, do they allow him the opportunity perhaps to compete um, and get some reps and perhaps be a solid number two? Yeah, I mean, again, that's what you're looking for. But there's no way, no scenario that I see where Nathan Rourke comes in and, you know, he's going to be, quote, the guy, right? I mean, he's going to be a number two and he's going to be a guy who's going to have to go down there and establish himself and do well when he gets opportunities and reps and earn the trust of the coaching staff. We're speaking to Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. Moj is a presentation of the West Coast Auto Group. Great service, great selection just over the bridge in Maple Ridge. Moj, what did you think of the decision from the NFL to schedule the Seahawks-Rams game and then the Packers-Lions game in the way, manner, and fashion that they did? You know, I know your beloved sport of soccer and, you know, MLS 
what do they call that? D Day or something? Decision like Day. That? Yeah. When they have everyone play at the same time. Yeah. Pretty good idea. I liked I mean, it. And, yeah. And I mean, you know, when you look at this scenario, the way it plays up, I mean, uh, are you kidding me? Seahawks win. Um, and guess what? The Lions are out. But <laughs> the Seahawks need the Lions to beat the Packers. And, you know, I. I I know that they're professionals, and I know that, you know, it's not like the Lions say, well, if the Seahawks win, I guess we're out. We're not going to try. I mean, that it's ludicrous to, to come to that assumption. But you ask anyone, and, you know, any coach will tell you this. It's that extra 5 or 10% that's the difference sometimes between average and good or good or great. It's that 5 to 10% that you push yourself that takes you to another level. And I don't know if the Lions have that extra 10% if they're not playing for a playoff spot. So it's just an unfortunate situation the way it plays out for the Seahawks. But, you know, you put yourself in this position. All you have to do is win a couple more games or beat Carolina at home during the course of the season, and you're not worrying about this, right? So you put yourself in this position, unfortunately, and now you have to deal with the consequences. Okay, Moj, it's Friday. Ask us anything Friday. Uh, We've got one in here from Alex. Hey, can I ask you guys something when we're done? Uh, Yeah, okay. okay. You know what we'll do? We'll ask Moj first, and then Moj will ask us something second. Okay. Alex uh, wants to know – that he said if there was something, we're at the end of bowl season here, college football, national championships coming up. Uh, if there was a Halbro Bowl, what stadium would the game be played in? Let's switch it up. If there was a Moj Bowl, the Moj Stravaganza, the Moj Bowl. The Jambalaya Bowl. The Big Moji. Uh, <laughs> what, what, which stadium would the game be played in? Wow. Um, well. Swan Guard. I mean, <laughs> that'd be for the Halbro Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would probably, like, if you're talking about a football game, right? Yeah, yeah. College football yeah. game, it's the Moj Bowl. A college football game. Wow. Um, the grand Moji of I mean, them all. Notre Dame. Uh, I've been to Notre Dame. I've been so fortunate to been to Notre Dame twice. That's, that's It's amazing. It's like if you have the opportunity to do a bucket list trip, do something in Chicago, take the whatever two-hour drive, two-and-a-half-hour drive down to Notre Dame and catch an Irish game, it's it's pretty cool because you get the best of college football, especially if you can get one of the rivalry games like we got USC. And it was, it was amazing. It's just an amazing environment. And I think the other thing too, that you want to talk about tailgating. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Um, If you go to Instagram, I think I have a post there of the tailgate party at Notre Dame. It's just, it's insane. I mean, you just, you can't even think about how big it is, but yeah, Notre Dame is pretty cool. I mean, there's others as well. I mean, there's other stadiums that I'd like to get to eventually. I think the one thing that Canadians really don't kind of comprehend is just how cool that college football experience is. If you can go to a big game, it's yeah. particularly like, you know, say like an SEC, SEC matchup somewhere. It's just an amazing atmosphere, no matter who the teams are. And a lot of it, I always find out has to do with the bands. It's something about having the bands in the stands and the music and, you know, it's just never dull. It's just, there's, there's always something going on. So, yeah, I'll probably say Notre Dame. Hey, Moja, have you been to an SEC stadium, like one of the big ones in, I don't know, Tennessee or Alabama, or even like I've heard Ole Miss has an amazing tailgating scene? No, I haven't. I mean, I haven't been to an SEC game. I'd love to go to one. I came close one time uh, back in the old days at the previous station. We had a tour um, that uh, we took a, a bunch of fans down to Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um and we caught the Seahawks and the Titans. That was a game, if you remember, both teams didn't come out for the anthem. Um, oh, right. Right, in, in Nashville. But that Saturday... Well, Vanderbilt uh, doesn't count. 
Yeah, I was about to say it was Alabama <laughs> and Vanderbilt. Unfortunately, Julio and I had a game the night before Montreal, and we flew over the stadium. And we're looking yeah. down, and half the stadium is red because all the Alabama fans came up for the game. So, yeah, I guess that's the closest ever came. But, yeah, you're right. I don't think Vandy really counts. Uh, okay, what did you want to ask us? To ask you guys this as broadcasters, um, I-, I was watching Ryan Clark um, on Monday night after yep. the DeMar Hamlin incident. Uh, I mean, man, I was just like, this guy's killing it. And, you know, I think we've all been in those situations as broadcasters. And, and you know, I hate to use this term in this situation, but, um, we call it ragging the puck. You know, if there's some sort of issue when you're trying to pass it over to another show, you know, you got a 20, 30 minute delay, you guys got to go extra. Or, you know, I remember doing a Lions game one time with a, a thunderstorm in Ottawa and, you know, being on air for another, you know, killing half an hour. Um, when you, as a broadcaster, when you get into a situation and, and you're not necessarily prepared for it, um, it's probably one of the toughest things you can do. And I talked about, you know, the delays that we face sometimes, but you know, this was just a, a, another thing with Ryan Clark and what he did uh, and most of the broadcasters with ESPN, but particularly what I saw from Ryan Clark, uh, I thought he was absolutely amazing. So I'm just going to ask you as broadcasters watching what you saw from Ryan Clark on Monday and how he handled that situation and how he was able to um, express what he was feeling and what perhaps the players are feeling I thought was magnificent. So, um, I'll throw that to you. Ryan Clark, Monday night. How good do you think he was as a broadcaster? It was remarkable. We played the audio on the show Tuesday morning. First thing when we came in, actually. We did about a minute and a half uninterrupted. And uh, we talked to Lang. I talked to Mike Tannier about this, too, on on Tuesday. Um, You don't want to take away from DeMar Hamlin's situation and the severity of it, but it was obviously an unprecedented scenario from a broadcast perspective. No one that was on the field calling the game either for Westwood one or for ESPN or whatever, you could hear across the board that they were trying their best to explain the situation without much information, try and have the humanity side of things, but also try and be like news people because there was an unfolding event happening in real time. So what Ryan Clark did was remarkable. And to be able to have the recall from his playing days and talk about similar scenarios and related to the current situation when nobody had a frame of reference I think was really impressive as well. That's when you see the importance of having former players on the broadcast. Yep. But yep. former players won't always work unless they're well-spoken and they can collect their thoughts and they can have composure and they don't panic in those types of situations. And, you know, I think having that composure, it probably helps that you're a former player because you've been in high, high pressure situations where you have to keep your composure. I think the most important thing that, that Ryan Clark did with was he just spoke from the heart. Yeah. And, and I think when you're in, in those situations, sometimes you can be overly careful in what you say because you don't, you know, it's a very sensitive situation, right? You, you don't want to put your foot in your mouth. You don't want to act like um, something that doesn't ultimately matter. Like you don't want to, it, it was a tough situation. Well, exactly. But you could do that unintentionally and still get absolutely lambasted. Like you could know in the back of your mind like obviously the most important thing is the health of DeMar Hamlin and and obviously um the, the game shouldn't be played right like I, I you know that those things to me were just like obvious but you also had to address the fact 
or maybe you didn't at that time, maybe that just wasn't the time to address it whatsoever, that the NFL is going to have to deal with this thing. And the NFL is going to have to put together a plan to figure out what to do. Um, And I think that's where Skip Bayless ran into trouble is because, you know, he actually, in his tweet, he said, like, it all seems like inconsequential right at the end of his tweet. But the fact that he even brought up the fact that this is now going to be a tough situation for the NFL got him into trouble because in true Skip Bayless way, he did it in an insensitive manner. Yeah. It was just the time and the place. I mean, you can talk about that issue, but I don't think you talk about that issue as a young man's battling for his life on a football field. Exactly. Right. I mean, yeah, talk about it the next day. Talk about it today. Talk about it three, four days down the road. But I think the best news out of all of this is that we're hearing that there's substantial improvement um, with Hamlin and the fact that now that uh, Chasing M's foundation that he ran, they were trying to get $2,500 for a toy drive. It's up to $7.3 million as of last night. So um, a couple of good notes in terms of what's happened there. So wish the young man a speedy recovery. So Hopefully the kid will be able to have a, a normal life. Forget about football. And I wrote about this today for Black Press, and that's the fact that you just want to see this guy lead a normal, productive life. I mean, he doesn't need to play football to do that. So hopefully all the best to Hamlin and, and his family and friends. Yeah, the latest update is that uh, DeMar Hamlin's breathing tube is out. He's actually speaking now, and he FaceTimed with some of his uh, Buffalo Bills teammates. So pretty remarkable yeah. over the span of a week where that story started and where it's uh, ended up on Friday. Uh, yeah. Moj, thanks for doing this, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next Friday. Okay, fellas, we'll talk to you next Friday. See you later, thanks, bye. Buddy. That's Bob the Moj Marjanovic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I'm reading on the Nathan, Nathan Rourke thing. Um, this is per Farhan, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just reading it courtesy of the CFL News mm-hmm. Twitter feed. Um, that Rourke has already received multiple offers, guaranteed money, annual salary of at least 700000 So that in itself, folks. Yeah, he's gone. The, but that's the reason that anyone would leave the Canadian Football League to go to the NFL. The money is just... No, it's not the money. It's the opportunity as well. Like He's still money? a young guy. He, it, it, if you look at the, the quarterbacks and how the quarterback story can unfold in a season. Like Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy. Here's here's the crazy thing. Mr. Irrelevant mm-hmm. in the NFL draft has a good chance to win the Super Bowl. Yes. They could enter as the number one seed in the NFC and have an opening round bye, and they could that road, yeah, absolutely. Forget getting the bye. I yeah. think they just might be the best team in the NFC. And, and that's just you get that opportunity. Yeah. No one expected to get that opportunity, but from what we saw of Nathan Rourke at times throughout the season, you're sitting there going, There's, this guy's got something. He's got that composure. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't look very good in Winnipeg in the playoff game, and that was probably still he was re- recovering from an injury, and it was just a tough situation to, to go into that game. So he's an underdog in this. Don't get anything wrong here. He's an underdog to become a starting quarterback in the NFL or to go down there and make this great success of himself. But he can always come back to the CFL. He can always come back to the CFL in a couple of years if things don't work out there. And he's still going to be a young guy. And he can come back and, you know, because Halford's all about the money, he'll have some money in his pocket and he might be able to, you know, feel a little more comfortable being that CFL quarterback, but he wouldn't feel comfortable if he didn't go down there and take a shot. And Give take, himself take a, shot, a chance. Take a shot now. Strike when the iron is hot. You have one shot, one opportunity. Yeah, Don't let it slip. Mum spaghetti. Yeah. Um, here's uh, what we learned. The Seattle Kraken have reassigned Shane Wright to the Kingston Frontenacs. 
So Shane Wright, he's played some NHL games. He's played some AHL games, although that was on a conditioning stint. He played in the World Juniors, scored a nice goal yesterday, won another gold medal as the captain of the team. But now he's going back to Kingston. And I think this is the right decision. I think watching Shane Wright in that tournament, uh, for the most part, most people were left a little bit underwhelmed and thought that he might dominate a little bit more than he did. Sure. No one is asking him to put up a performance on a Connor Bedard-type level. But when he scored that goal yesterday, I think the overwhelming consensus was like, wow, he needed that. Yep. And Canada needed a goal like that from Shane Wright. Um, he's got He's got a ways to go before he's going to be um, uh, an impactful NHLer. Yeah, I mean, he was impactful yesterday. And he captained Canada to a gold medal. So those are all, you know, positive attributes and ticks in the right column. But on the team, I mean, the, there were definitely guys that rose to greater prominence. But uh, it wasn't his. It wasn't Shane Wright's line that dominated. Yeah, Gun, uh, Gunther was really good. I mean, even Milic kind of upped his stock. Wright is Gunther was better than Shane Wright. Can yeah. we all agree? Oh, that yeah, Gunther yeah. was better than the, Shane Wright. I, yeah, that's. What, I mean, Wright was the captain, and scored a big goal in the mm-hmm. gold medal game, and it was a really nice goal. Um, but I think what you're looking at is a, a byproduct of a lot of different things. One, it was a year-long, um, you know, where we're tanking for the first-round pick and all the different, like, it, he was never going to be uh, a generational guy like I think a lot of people have been, and then a lot of people also were erroneously tagged for. I mean, I, it's it, hard when you get that exceptional status in the mm-hmm. OHL. Right from the very time you get that status, and only a few guys have received it. So, off the top of my head, John Tavares, Connor McDavid, did Stamkos have it? Exceptional status in the OHL. Ekblad. Ek, maybe it wasn't Stamkos. Maybe it was Ekblad. But then there Sean was Sean Day. Day. Sean Day. Sean Day, and, and he just he never panned out in the NHL. And can you uh, argue with Wright's production though? Like, I know you say it's going to take a long time to get his full game ready to play at the NHL level, but he's been. Over a point per game, pretty much everywhere he's played, four goals in five games in the AHL. Is he really I'm not that suggest- far off? I'm like, not he- suggesting that he's like a, in, in a bust. But no, I, but I, is he really that far away from being an impact but player? But he, could, like he couldn't said? stay in the AHL, yeah. right? They had to send no. him back. Yeah, that he's was legally thing. not allowed to yeah, play there. That was the problem, was he had to go back to junior. They had to keep him on the NHL But roster. he's clearly good enough to play there. Where? In the, American in the AHL. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, for yeah. sure. He looked really good in those the handful of games. I remember his first game with was it Coachell Valley. Uh, he had a goal in his first game, and he he produced. He's just stuck in that that stagmire that uh, that exists. In the, you can't give him the NHL ice time, right. but he's too good for all the other. Yeah, leagues. I don't necessarily, right. and think, especially with the Kraken being in a playoff position yeah. now, they're not in this for just development time. Right. Like, who's he going to step into the Kraken lineup and replace when they're on a heater and they are looking to make major strides in their second season? The weird thing is, is that the Kraken obviously had higher aspirations for him. Um, when they held him out of the summer tournament, right? They were like, no, he's going to be a big part of what we're doing here in Seattle. And I think that tune quickly changed when they saw him play, and he just he wasn't ready. Well, now he's got the option to come back as well at playoff time. Once his season's over in the CHL, he can come back over. Uh, by the way, someone t- someone threw this out on Twitter the other day when as we talk about generational talents at the draft and the first overall picks, and they're like, go back and Google the terms generational and Lafreniere, and you'll be shocked at how often and how casually it was thrown around. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But, but that being said, I am very surprised that he struggled to make a mark in the NHL. 
watching Lafreniere in the World Juniors, I was like, this guy is a sure thing. Yeah, I think it's just uh, maybe it's the term generational. It's not even about. Oh, generational is ridiculous. Yeah. People, people throw it around way too often. Right. Remember when I wrote that article for NBC about uh, uh, the United States never having a generational player, yes. and and all these people in like for the Dallas Stars were like, "What about Mike Medano?" And I was like, "What about Mike Medano? Yeah, he's... He wasn't a generational player." We need to reserve that term. It's ridiculous. For special cases. It gets thrown around too loosely. Anyway. We got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 6. We're going to come back. What we learns, ask us anything, and our playnow.com locks of the week. That's all coming up next. You're not going to want to miss it. Final segment of the final show of the week. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Welcome to Kelowna, California. West Coast. Coast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kelowna, baby. Best place in the world right here. <laughs> Hey, 33 on a Friday. Happy Friday, everybody. Sweet, sweet Friday. Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour three of the program. Hour three is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. You can visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. You guys ready to lock it up? Laddie, you got the lock button ready? You guys ready to lock it up? It's time now for the lock of the week presented by Playhouse Sports, the official sports betting partner of the Vancouver Canucks. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Playhouse Sports. You must be 19 plus to play. I think we're both doing week 18 NFL games. And I think they're both related to the Seattle Seahawks. I'm going to start boom. with... Yeah, I don't know. I did a this boom. Is, this is a house of negativity. I, I, I hate to admit it. I, I have no faith in the Detroit Lions. Prove me wrong, Dan Campbell, and your great attitude, but Green Bay minus four and a half. Aaron Rodgers with a chance to put the Packers into the playoffs at Lambeau on Sunday night. I'll take that. Okay. I I, I think the I, I I don't think I don't think the Lions have a chance in this game, regardless of what happens in the Seahawks game. Okay. I just do this is maybe this is a bit of an attempted jinx. I don't know. I know I can't weaponize my jinxes, but I just I have no faith in Detroit. Despite the fact that they've won a bunch of games recently, I I just don't. Aaron Rodgers versus Jared Goff, like what are we doing here? I'm taking Aaron <laughs> Rodgers at Lambeau minus four and a half. Lock him up. Lock of the week. So yeah, my pick is related to your pick. Uh, I've got one for Seahawks haters. And conspiracy theorists all balled into one. Oh, I like this. Yeah. Uh, I'm taking the Rams to beat the Seahawks. <laughs> oh, on the money line. On yeah. the money line. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I think it's Seahawks- so this, this has got some juice behind so it, too. I, I mean, call me crazy, but a team that has blown past opportunities against lousy football teams. I'm talking about the Seattle Seahawks. They might do it again against a not very good Rams team, although the Rams have won two of their last four. The conspiracy theory, Jason is that the NFL will want the Rams to win this game in order to juice up that Sunday night football game that you're wagering on. Oh, so the referees are going to be crooked? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I don't want to throw it out there. <laughs> Someone else did that for me. You can get the Rams at 320 <laughs> on the money line. If you throw down 20 bucks, it's a $64 return. So if you don't like the Seahawks and you want to cheer against them and you love conspiracies, I got the wager for you. Rams, lock it up, boom. Lock 
get away. This whole thing was just a blatant reverse jinx, wasn't it? But now know. that we've acknowledged it, it's going to happen. You Damn said, it. You said the quiet part. Oh, okay, one more on. thing I have to say. Goalies don't make every save. Players don't score on every shot. Play for fun and not to make money. If you gamble, use your game sense. You must be 19 plus to play. Locks of the week in the books. Let's go to what we learns and ask us anything. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. It is the Smalt alternative. If you have a what we learned, hashtag it WWL. If you have an ask us anything, hashtag it AUA. Dogs? Dogs? You guys are- I have a callback to a previous what we learned from earlier in the week. Holla. Okay. I had the Phoenix Copley what we learned, the goaltender yep. for LA Kings. Jason's really upset he missed that one. You, you let him do a Phoenix Copley what we learned? They led the Merrick show right after us with that story. Okay. I just mentioned the only. I was like, Phoenix spells his name wrong. Anyway, yeah, go that's, ahead. That's the most intriguing part it of the story. It's moved on now to not just he's winning games. He played in an all Alaska born goalie matchup yesterday. What? For the first time in NHL history. Who was the other goalie? The other goalie was Jeremy Swayman, who was of Anchorage, Alaska. Started for the Bruins, and Phoenix Copley started for the Kings. He's from. North Pole, Alaska. So big goalie nerd night for you because you got the UC Soros 64 save yeah. win. You also got an all Alaska goalie matchup. There's a, there's a North Pole in Alaska? Yeah, there's a North Pole, Alaska. That's really? where he's What from. is the most north that you guys have ever been? I think for me, honestly, it might be Edmonton for me. What's the most uh, north you've ever been? I've never been. Grand, is Grand Prairie? That's pretty north, right? I don't know, Andy. Like, Prince George or Edmonton? What's Grand higher? Prairie? Mm, I've never been to Prince George. Grand Prairie so. is above Edmonton slightly, so I would say Grand Prairie for me. Isn't Prince George just kind of mini Edmonton? <laughs> Edmonton light, BC's version of Edmonton. What's the What's the furthest north you you've ever been? Have you ever been to would like, be, the territories the, or anything like that? that, that I, no, I, I'm, I'm wondering to go up there. I'm wondering. I, I'm trying to do desperate? the map in my head yeah. right now. It's uh, 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 incredible. I... I've had friends that have gone up there. And they've gone on these hikes, and in, in, in a lot of the ways, they've they've actually had to like fly uh, one of those, like I don't know, like with a bush pilot or whatever plane into. The, you will never like. I, I want to go on a trip in Canada where you're like, oh my god, I didn't know this was here. Like this is a different world, mm-hmm. and I think that's what you get when you're up there. I, yeah, I am desperate um, to go up there. The... I, I I want to go up there. In the summertime, apparently, obviously. I've been to the most northernmost metropolis in the world because I've been to Saint Petersburg, Russia. Oh, so I guess, right. Okay, I guess I have been very far north. I had mm-hmm. to think about it for a sec. What part of the What part of the year were you there? Can you remember? Was it dark or was it light? It was or, dark. Yeah, it was super. It dark? was it was the fall slash well the North American fall slash winter. I don't know how it worked over mm-hmm. there. It was just dark all the time. Yeah, it was very. Yeah, odd. I remember that Grand Prairie when we were there. It was. Uh, Light for three hours. Yeah, so it was dark. Yeah, it was dark. Dark for twenty one hours. Was, I want to say it was. It was a tough it was, adjustment. It was weird. What about what about you, Laddie? What's the most north you've ever been? Well, I'm looking at the map here because I grew up in southern Ontario, which right. is like Portland which is the level, southern part of <laughs> yeah. Ontario. Yeah, that's the southern one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I've been to Edmonton. I've been to Prince George. Looking at the map, it looks like Prince George has the slight edge. So that's probably the number one. Yeah, I'm now down, I'm down a rabbit hole on North Pole, Alaska. Yeah, it's it's not actually close to the real North Pole. Nope. Population, <laughs> they, population 2000. I think they use it as a bit of a branding thing. S- Santa goes there for yeah. like vacations. Yeah. That's his southernly Their, their city motto is where the spirit of Christmas lives year round. <laughs> what a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it's just what a nightmare. <laughs> Suicide race through the roof. It's just unreal. Luke it's, like, it's like the guy in The Simpsons that works at the uh, day is New Year's Eve. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that was Laddie. Good job. Uh, A-Dog, you're up. I have a very quick one, yep. uh, just because it ca- caught me by surprise. Uh, it's been estimated or confirmed more or less that Taylor Swift, Swift's cat, Olivia Benson... <laughs> 
<laughs> That's the name. She named her two, cat two names. Taylor Swift's cat Olivia Benson is the world's third richest pet, with an estimated net worth of ninety-seven million dollars, according to a report by All About Cats. She made uh, the the cat made some great investments. Ninety-seven million dollars. <laughs> this cat is worth well, well, who ninety-seven are the, who are, million. Who are the other? Okay, but who are the richest cats? I haven't followed through with the story. How do you, this is where you need to research? Like everyone's question is going to be, <laughs> all right, Taylor Swift's got the third richest pet in the world. Who are the richest pets? Who's the richest pet? How like, much was Mister Biggles worth making it in his prime? Like you know uh, what number my, one like is did did, did the Gunther queens want the answer yeah did Gunther. the queens corgis in, in, inherit quite a bit or no uh, they're on the throne number they one is number one is a German shepherd dog named Gunther Four owned by an Italian media company called the Gunther Corporation it's worth <laughs> five hundred million coming in at number two is uh, Nala Cat is that Oprah no, Oprah's got a dog Nala Cat what's that I don't know well it's a cat. Yeah, is Thanks. it a social media cat or something? How like do that? the how do the pets get the money? Are they written into the like, they, bill? They've got great lawyers. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think they physically give the pet the money itself. They're not like handing a check to this cat. Can you imagine Swift them? Like, the money. Can you imagine if they've, uh, they've accumulated like a lot of stocks and they have like considerable <laughs> voting power? Shrewd also, investing abilities this cat has. Is Olivia Benson the? Mariska Hardigay character from SVU, Law and Order SVU. That's what it is. Sure, right. right. Yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. See, I know things. Airbud, but Wall Street. That can be your move, next movie pitch there, Jason. Is Airbud Air, still yeah. doing movies? <laughs> yeah, they uh, film in Vancouver. They still? Film yeah. Nice. The week- well, we were talking about with Drance. Yeah, there's, yeah, a, there's you- a whole like new storyline. It's like Fast and Furious yeah, the, where it's the- gone off into space. Oh, yeah, right the on. last day when Bruff was sick and you were sick yeah. uh, and Drance filled in for you guys. Why'd you say it like that? <laughs> <laughs> Drance filled in for you guys. There was you a were 20- faking sick. <laughs> there was a 20-minute uh, conversation where Drance went through all of the Airbud films, and he knows the synopsis of them perfectly. Why does he much. know some? Anyway, has Airbud ever cro- crossed over with MVP, Most Valuable Primate? I no. feel like that's no, an opportunity I know, lost. but that's something we discussed. That has not happened. Oh, okay. I don't know why. I was like, there there is an R-rated Air Bud, which caught some people by surprise. There's an R-rated dog or an R-rated dog movie. Was Drance was very oh. critical of MVP, the the chimp skating ability. I don't know. I didn't think <laughs> wasn't realistic it. enough. <laughs> okay, Mukau, all of that. You I kind of want to know, I kinda, I know about Air Bud going to Wall Street, though. I think that's a that's a great premise. Maybe he'd learn some lessons about what's important in life, and it's not money. <laughs> he gets wrapped up in some insider trading. It's a rawhide yeah. bone. <laughs> He got his financial advice from Jimmy Buffett. Too. Yeah, why does Air Bud keep going to the bathroom and <laughs> sniffing a lot? Uh, okay, Matt in Abbey with an Ask Us Anything. If you could own one of these bars, which one would you choose? Moe's Tavern, the Bada Bing, or Cheers? This is tough. Oh God, this Moe's for the dank. No, no, I, no, no, I would, I would, I would be very Moe's bar just for Barney. I'd be very, very intrigued by the Bing because of the money laundering potential and all get the criminal. You all would the, get whacked. I'd own it in five seconds. Yes, it. you talk too much. You would exactly. get whacked. You would get no, whacked no, no. in five no, seconds. No, no, no. I own cheers. the Bing. It's easy. I'm the guy. Tony beat the guy up every day. Like every episode, that guy was being beaten up by Tony. Yeah, like, the guy, the bar. Tony owned the Bing. You're the guy that gets to do that stuff. Oh, if the guy so puts the, the ice in the sink wrong, you get to take a lock and smash hey, him but in if the you, eye hey, with it. What happened to Tony? We don't know. But if you, you might have okay. made it in the end. If you own Moe's <laughs> bar, if you own Moe's bar, you get to hire a guy to guard Barney. You get to pick the gar- Barney guarding job. Do you yeah. think Moe's Tavern is a moneymaker? Look at Mo. Mo He's is not happy. Moe's Tavern is third on the list, 100%. It's either Cheers or the Bing. Well, I think it's Cheers for sure. But then you have to get, deal with the guys upstairs. Oh, what were they called again? It wasn't at a French restaurant? Yeah. God, what was the name of that? I should know that. That's annoying. I got it. Don't worry. Uh, 
Okay, you, you Google that. Jeff the Tennis Guy, ask us anything. How well does a memoir from Bruce Boudreaux sell in Vancouver if one is released once Bruce fully retires from hockey? I think it sells pretty well. Oh, yeah. He's alluded Actually, to it very casually. You'd have to slide. use the Bruce There It Is as the title in some way, wouldn't he? Like, wouldn't you have to take advantage of that? Like, Bruce There He Went or Bruce Yeah, for sure. Was, I think you or... would. Yeah, you should be the editor. I should. Of, of this book. <laughs> Um, I, I think why is it all about Kuzmenko? I, I really want to hear about this whole season from Bruce because it's unfortunate that he's, I don't want to say going out like this, but that's probably an NHL career as a, as a head coach. He's probably going out like this, yeah. but the only losing season of his NHL career as a head coach. Now there have been other disappointments in, in Boudreaux's career. And that is the lack of. Uh, playoff success. A lot of his teams have gone out in the first round. They've been good teams. He did make it to the conference final with the Anaheim Ducks yeah. um, a few years ago. So, you know, he's coached in big games, obviously, before. But I, I just feel like the way it's all gone down has been unfair to Bruce. Yeah. And I'm not even sitting here saying that. I don't like – you know, we've had this discussion, you know, has Bruce done a good job this year? And I would say, based on the way the team looks, it does not look like a well-coached team. Now, you can have the argument until you're blue in the face about whether or not uh, it's a personnel issue, whether it's a leadership issue, whether it's a coaching issue. But I I can't watch the Canucks play. Well, I could watch them play last night, I guess. I can't watch the Canucks play on the regular basis and say, this is a well-coached team. No, like, it just doesn't, it doesn't look like it. And I think the issue with Bruce is... He was a good he's a good coach for a good team that has a good leadership group that holds itself accountable but he's not the kind of coach where he has to be like an ass kicker or he has to be a taskmaster and he even kind of alluded it to the other day he's like the hardest thing for me to do is to single out players in a meeting and go like rip them in front of their own teammates. Whereas a guy like Torch is like, that's the easiest thing to do and I the am, most I fun. Enjoy right? that. Like yeah. I enjoy I that. I go to work every day smiling. Like there are different type of coaches and there are guys that are just like, can you imagine getting in trouble from Bruce Boudreaux? You'd feel more guilty than anything else. Like that's true. even his rant that um so famously was caught in the HBO series a long, long time ago when he was still coaching the Washington Capitals. When he had that rant, there was not, you weren't scared of him. No. Like, he wasn't, he, he, you know, he, he, like, you weren't sitting there going like, oh, like, I, God, what's going to happen to us? Like, is he going to do something really mean? You were just like, he was really disappointed. Yeah, and he was swearing a lot. He was a little flustered and swearing, yeah. and you're like, I made him feel like that. I'd want to know what's bad. really going on in the room. That's that's what would I would focus on in the book if, if Bruce Boudreaux ever released a memoir, tell all, tell all whatever. I'd really want to know what's going on in the Canucks locker room. Man, the conversation that we had with Jim Toth today, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, that to me was a real eye-opener because um, it seems like the Jets, as far as this season, like the Jets and the Canucks went into the season with similar question marks, right? They're both coming off a disappointing uh, season. There were changes expected for both teams. Those changes never really did occur. You could draw allusions to it. Like, is Blake Wheeler JT Miller? Right? Like the same type there. of same type of similarities, but the Jets found a way. They brought in a new coach. And they played with structure, and they bought in. Now, you can argue about, well, maybe the Jets have a better lineup. Maybe they have a better lineup that's more 
uh, amenable to that type of Rick bonus hockey. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I'd never watched the Jets before and think, well, there's a team that can really lock it down. Okay, uh, a few things that we need to address here. One, the name of the restaurant above Cheers was? Melville's. Ah, uh, Melville's, yeah. Two, uh, someone has asked if Jason is upset about another Red Robin closure, this time in Burnaby. Uh, Red Robin's holding on, but it's dwindling in numbers. How many locations do they have left? I don't know the exact number. I do know that the, what we call it, the signature store on Robson, that's that's the definitive Red Robin at this point, right? Now that everything else is closed, that's the one. That's still there. That's still there. Oh, it's there. It's going. still there. They have birthday burgers. It's going to get the Swiss Chalet fate. Sorry to tell you guys. Swiss Chalet fell Mm -hmm. on its own sword or spigot of chicken or whatever. But yeah, it hasn't gone well for Swiss Chalet. Red Robin, it's different. Well, it's more burgers, right? But it's also like it's got a little bit more history here. Like I always felt Swiss Chalet was like an annoying cousin from Ontario that mm-hmm. came out. Right? Which I think I've is. only been to Swiss Chalet like once in my life. Well, it's yeah. different here too. Everyone always says it's. We're not doing this. We're not doing this. Danny and Brooks would ask us anything. Does Torts's anti All Star Game rant make you miss having Torts in Vancouver? Just for the comedy, <laughs> you know. Funny. You know what the funny thing is about Torts? Like I, I don't think there was anything anyone more critical in the media than I was of torts in Vancouver. I thought he did a terrible job in Vancouver. But it, again, it was about the mix. Like, he was not the right coach for that group of players. A veteran collection that had shown that they'd known how to win, and then you get this guy coming in and saying, you don't know how to win. You're just kind of like, well, really? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like you do. Um, but I think torts for a young team and a team that is dying for some sort of leadership. Like, I think... I'm not I'm not pushing here and saying like torts they should have hired torts for Vancouver. But I think he would have been more successful coaching a team like the Canucks have right now, where they're looking for someone mm-hmm. to lead them. Yeah. You know, they're looking for someone to lay down the law. They're looking for someone to hold players accountable. Mm-hmm. Right? He would be willing to do that. And I think that is the type of coach that is gonna come in next. It is not gonna be a touchy feely. Bruce Boudreaux type. It is not going to be Mr. Positive. It is not going to be, well, guys, like, I believe in you. Yeah. Right? It is not going to be that type of coach. Yeah. I mean, we, we you know, we don't even have enough time for this, but we didn't we didn't get the full uh, authentic Tortorella experience here in Vancouver. We kind of got some weird facsimile of it. His heart wasn't in it. No. And he faked it with the thing with the Hartley. He, it was almost like if you asked someone to act like John Tortorella. Yeah. And then they did it, but it was actually John Tortorella trying to act like what he, an outsider, thought John Tortorella might. It was all very weird. But I, I talked to numerous people from within the organization to media members that dealt with him, and they're like, he was a pleasure. He never snapped on anyone. He never said that was a stupid question. He never pulled any of the stuff that he did in Columbus. Famously in Columbus, he'd be like, I got nothing for you guys tonight. He'd be out of there. Yeah. He was always diligent. And the only thing he ever really did here is remember someone's cell phone went off? That was in the opening press yeah. conference. Yeah. And after that, he was, I think, and again, we're, we're probably way up against it for time, but I'll go on this. I think he understood that there was a certain savvy and difference in dealing with a Canadian hockey market and media that he, the, the, the routine wouldn't be the same or he thought about it too much. I think he had less of a leg to stand on. Too. I also think he actually enjoyed engaging with a lot of the guys that were here to be perfectly honest. So anyway, uh, we got any other ones. You got anything flagged there? Anybody, anybody, anybody Bueller Chuck in Vancouver, ask us anything. I saw an airplane flying a banner over downtown Vancouver yesterday that said hashtag, Free the skate. 
If you could fly an airplane banner over Vancouver, what Canucks-related message would you put on it? Mine would be make some trades. What was this? It was in the notes. I didn't. I missed this entirely. I'm sorry. I didn't well, read everything. We're not actually sure. My, my theory on it right now is it's Canucks-related. It's a marketing okay. campaign by the Canucks. But this is my theory. It could be completely wrong. It could be Wyatt has just put all his money into <laughs> flying a banner because he wants the skate jersey logo That's it. That's uh, it. to return to, I don't know, regular rotation with the Vancouver Canucks. Drantz, by the way, had the weirdest take. I, I don't know if we clipped this at all yesterday. We have access to it. He said that the colors of the skate jersey or that whole ensemble that they put together in the late 70s or Good early word. 80s, Good word. which was like, what are, the, what are the colors? Black, gold, orange, Plate of spaghetti, red, some fuchsia, yeah, whatever, whatever it was. Yeah, he's like, yeah, but the, it fits Vancouver because that's what the city looks like at night. And Jamie Dodd was like, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> and Drance just said it with such confidence, like he's like, "That's what the city looks like at night. Wait, it looks like gold, orange, and black." Like I understand what the black part about? because the sun sets and then it becomes dark. Like blue and green, obviously, you associate that with Vancouver. You got the green of the. Of, of, of the mountains with the forests on yep. them and, and then and then you've got the the blue of, of the ocean obviously like if you look at like blue and green that's that's Vancouver but okay here's the clip he says it with just such confidence that I'm just like, what the hell are you talking about the colors are good but only because they look like what Vancouver looks like at night can, can you keep going with that because red yellow it looks good on the jersey put any other logo on how, what does it. the Van- flying skate does the- Van- no 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 okay laddie sorry st- I th- he doesn't go no, on no, about no. the start again okay. i want to hear dodd's reaction okay i want to hear jamie's reaction don't don't have a quick trigger finger on this let's play the whole thing again your hat it is the most overrated jersey in the history of this franchise the colors are good but only because they look like what vancouver looks like at night when you go black red yellow it looks good on the jersey put any other logo on how, it. What does the Van- flying skate? How does the Vancouver skate- look different than other cities at night? Well, because we get the we get the light reverberating off the water. Okay, sure. So it's so it's nice. <laughs> the light reverberating <laughs> off the water. What does that even mean? What the hell is he talking Yellow about? Yellow light. I, you know what he meant. I know what happened here. He meant that it looks like Vancouver at night because it's black and there's traffic lights with red and yellow. And then he realized that every other city on the planet had that. So then it was, but the lights reverberating were reverberating off the water. Well, I think the, well, some, oh, some think of our skyscrapers there. have green strips and blue strips and when they bounce off the water they kind of look like the Canucks colors maybe that's what he meant but I still was no, very but he was, was talking very, about but he was talking about the black yellow. and the yellow and the red yeah. none of it made any sense it, I'm very confused by the whole thing all I know is it's the best jersey and it should so be the was Jamie's mains. face <laughs> <laughs> okay that's it for today we gotta get out of here it's been a fun week Jason's back in the chair everything is right with the Hal Bro show so we're excited to get everything underway next week as it continues to be an awesome time in the world of sports. But for now, it's a Friday and we got to go. Signing off, I have been Mike Halford. He has been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog. And he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.